Hey, Fellowship family, happy Father's Day weekend. So far in our Unafraid series, we've looked at the issues of fearing death as well as fearing the unknown. And we've called you away from fear and into faith where you're trusting Christ uh, through all the circumstances in which fear exists. Well, this weekend, we're going to be looking at the fear of those people. And by that, I mean people who don't look like us. And we're going to be called to move away from fear and into faith. The fear of those people has kept a a great divide active in our culture today, in our society today. It's very real in our world, in our community, and if we're honest, even in our church. So it's important that we talk about this. I've asked Jonathan Sublett, who's our lead pastor at the High Crest Campus, to come and share not only his story, but also a vision that will help us move from fear to faith in this issue. Personally, as I've considered racial reconciliation uh, as a leader, but even more personally in my own life, I've had responses and sometimes reactions when this topic has been brought up. A reaction like, yeah, but, so that I could minimize it, so that I wouldn't have to change anymore. Well, I think this is so significant that we uh, open our hearts up to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to allow Jonathan to lead us in this area and sharpen us in this area and then listen and follow what God is calling us to do. I want to let you know that I'm praying for you as we go through this weekend and we hopefully come out stronger uh, with a greater openness and availability uh, to engage people who don't look like us so that Jesus can be greater on earth as he is in heaven. Good morning, fellowship. Oh, come on now. We souped you up with coffee and donuts. I'm going to try that one more time. Good morning, fellowship. There we go. There we go. Um, As Joe said in the video, my name is Jonathan Sublett, and I am the lead pastor for the High Crest Campus of Fellowship Bible Church, and it is good to be here with you. You know, one of our rooted uh, rooted rhythms is celebration. And so over at High Crest, um, what we try to emphasize is that Christians should be the best party throwers. Yeah, yeah, because we have the greatest cause to celebrate. You know, and, and this weekend I have a couple of ways and things that you can celebrate with me. Um, the first is today I'm blessed to see another year of life if I, as I celebrate my 38th birthday today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the second is while the process is taking a lot longer than we would hope and and it's slower than we ever wished, um, I get to celebrate my second Father's Day uh, today. So. Yeah. In my 38 years of life, um, I've been blessed to experience and see things that that have amazed me. And one of the things that that always seems new and amazing every time I experience it are sunsets. I mean, one of the most memorable sunsets for me came while I was on a business trip in Europe. And I was able to go spend the weekend in Brussels, in Paris. And and, and while there in Paris, one afternoon, I decided that I was going to go visit the Eiffel Tower and, and I uh, was going up the Eiffel Tower, and I reached the top viewing deck right at sunset. And I had my, my iPod in, and I was listening to you two sing, 
the city of blinding lights and where the streets have no name, right as the sun set. It was beautiful. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And, and one of the things that amazes me about sunsets is the diversity in them. You know, not once have I experienced a sunset and wished that it was all one color. Never have I stared into the horizon and thought, you know what, what would make this better was is if this was all one shade. Or if this was all the same, not once have I thought, you know, it would be a lot more calming if everything was the same in this picture. No, it's the diversity of the sunset that, that makes them eye-catching and, and brings us to tears. It's the diversity in the sunset where we find the peace and the calm and the relaxing view. But this view of diversity is not just something for me to enjoy in isolation. In the scriptures, it says in Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 that he has made everything beautiful in its own time. And, and he also puts eternity into the hearts of men. You know, at the church's beginning um, during Acts 2 at, at Pentecost, we see that the spirit of God spoke the same message of love and hope and joy into the hearts of all these people that were gathered there in diverse languages. We then get another glimpse of eternity in Revelation 7, 9, where it says that in the end, there's going to be this diverse chorus of voices singing God, singing praise to the same God. You know, we're, we're really close to um, the celebration of the start of our country. And I'm told that here in Top City, we do it up for the four. <laughs> you know, this has displayed itself, this eternity's promise has displayed itself through the actions of men in many ways. But one of the ways came when our our country's forefathers were drafting the Declaration of Independence and they wrote these words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal. But then as they drafted the Constitution, they, they settled for monochromatism as five places in this document which would govern our, our country either acknowledge or sustain the practice of slavery. Then later during the 60s, um, a small portion of our nation, led by men like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., revived the value of diversity's multifaceted beauty by, by getting our nation to buy into a dream that mirrored eternity's promise. But as I stand here this morning at the age of 38, I have to tell you that, that my life experiences have brought me to tears. Some of those tears have been the result of overwhelming beauty that I've experienced in the diversity of our world. And some of those tears were the result of feeling as though I was living in a world that was missing out on something that God had placed in the heart of man from the beginning of all time. Now, what would cause me to feel this way? What would cause me to feel as though we were missing out on something that was available to us? Well, during my lifetime, I've had educators admit that they thought less of me because of my weight and because of my race. I was told that people didn't want to hire me at my first job out of college because of my weight. I weighed 616 pounds then. I've been refused service in restaurants more than once while those of the majority ate around me. I've seen those on elevators clench their purses or lock their car doors as I walk by them on the streets. I've been thrown on the hood of hot police cars while simply walking around the neighborhood streets with my friends. I've had to throw away dead raccoons that were placed in the yard of my wife and I over the last two years. 
I've been referred to as that young nigger while leading reconciliation efforts in the community where I live. I've been refused service at the grocery store deli counter because I was told I didn't look like the type of person who would buy that product. Have you ever been given part of a grocery list by your spouse and only returned empty-handed because you were refused service in the grocery store? It took our country's government 233 years to formally apologize for the practice of slavery. It took the denomination in which I planted a church 150 years to apologize for its approval and support of slavery. I've been looked down upon in the church because of my denominational background, my marital status, and my age. I've seen others disrespected because of their um, political and theological beliefs. And I've been told by those in the church that I was not good enough to date their daughters because of my race. All of this has left me aching for eternity. All of this has left me feeling as though we were missing out on something that was available to us. And in the case of the early church, where the first deacons had to be ordained because of racism that was occurring within the church, or in the case of our forefathers who were drafting the Constitution, or in the case of those who did not get involved with the civil rights initiatives of the 60s, or in the case of the things that I've experienced through my 38 years of life, I can see where the fear of those not like us played into each and every one of those situations. Is this just the way it is? Is eternity diversity's only hope? Or can we more fully experience what God has for us in the here and now? If so, then how do we take our next step? I'm glad like, that like in so many other cases, God has not left us to wonder. He's not left us to guess. But he's given us an example in his word. He's given us example in how to overcome our fears of others and building relationships with those that are not like us. One of the places that he gives this example is found in the interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well in John 4. The promise made by God to Abraham was that everything in creation would be blessed because of his seed. Christ is that blessing. And those of us who are followers of Christ are the carriers of that promise. If we are to truly live what we say we believe, then we have to imitate Christ when he took the step out of glory to take on the weakness of flesh in order to reconcile sinful man to a holy God. So today I'll spend the rest of our time taking a quick look at the story of the woman at the well. As we use this story to help us become better at overcoming our fears of those not like us. There in the first four verses of chapter four, we find it to say this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although he, Jesus himself, did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, in the first four verses of our focal passage for today, we get our first key bit of knowledge in overcoming our fears of others in order to build relationships with those not like us. And that is this, believers should be intentional about building relationships with those not like them. Believers should be intentional about building those relationships. Verse 4 said that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. 
Now, in order to understand this interesting bit of information and why this is important, you have to understand the background to the story. Part of the background to the story goes that there is hostility between these groups that went centuries back before Christ ever arrived on the scene. And so Jews, uh, the strict Jew, man, this, this situation where you travel from Jerusalem to Galilee, it became an unnecessarily long trip as they went around Samaria in order to avoid who they called the Samaritan dogs. But it says here in our text that, that, that Jesus, knowing and obeying the will of God, had to pass through Samaria. He knew, he believed, and therefore he acted. You know, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 tells us that, that we who follow Christ are to go forth into all nations and make disciples of all nations, right? And then Acts 1 and 8 backs it up by saying that we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out this purpose. The only thing that's better than having the God-man walk beside us is having the third person in the Trinity live inside of us. And that's what we've been given to empower us for this purpose. But see, there's a difference between knowing and doing. In a 2013 nationwide study on inclusion, Topeka ranked 147th out of 274 cities when it came to overall conclusion, inclusion. It ranked 136 when it came to economic inclusion and 151st on racial inclusion. That means that top city was average. But when you look closer, the city became less inclusive from 2000 to 2013, following from 116th to 147th over just those three short years in overall inclusion rankings. There's been a sharp increase well over the national average in the percent of working poor families that we have here in our city. We've seen an increase in our uh, income segregation, which is also above the national average. While racial segregation has decreased on average nationally, we've seen a sharp increase over that time in the city of Topeka. And we also see an increase in the racial educational gap in our city. But maybe those numbers don't reflect the church. Maybe we're getting this thing right. We're hitting it out of the park. And general society is just mucking things up for us. Well, I had the pleasure of going to a luncheon um, hosted. And and the speaker there was uh, pastor and author Mark Demise. And he shared the statistics with us. He said that, 86.3% of the churches in the U.S. are racially segregated, with 80% of more of the attending membership coming from a single ethnic group. And that churches are 10 times more segregated than the neighborhood in which they sit. And they're 20 times more segregated than the public school system in which they sit. Now, the only place in our society that the government doesn't force inclusion is the church. In the place where we should need the least amount of urging and laws and boundaries to carry out this vision that God has placed in the heart of man should be the church because we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in this way. So why is this the case? But you know, 
often when I'm in, in, in conversations around um, ethnic diversity and socioeconomic diversity and gender empowerment, I find that we, we all shake and nod and we leave and say that we agree. But when you view our websites, they show no intentionality in promoting women uh, to leadership roles that still hold to our biblical interpretations. They exhibit no intentionality in hiring people of different ethnicities. And our church leadership shows a lack of opportunity for people who may be materially less fortunate, but still love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and body. The promises of God when it comes to building deep and healthy relationships with those that are not like us are to be realized and more for um, not just when we die, but also for the now then we have to begin to be intentional in these areas. You know, in 2011, I was invited to uh, be a part of a VBS in a uh, set of low socioeconomic apartments. And so I I went and took the opportunity. And over that summer, I led some kids to Christ. And, And while I was there working in that summer program, I asked a question to the program leaders. I said, hey, what's the What's the plan? And they say, what are you talking about? I said, what's the plan? They're like, what do you mean? I said, these kids have had people walk in and out of their life, their entire lives. We cannot get to the end of this summer and have some pictures and some videos and having given out some school supplies and maybe some school clothes and pat ourselves on the back and say, look at what we've done. These kids need someone who's here with them. There's a difference between saying that God can change your neighborhood and God can change our community. But see, when I got to the end of the the summer, I realized that there was no one to step into the gap. And so I prayed. And after having escaped that same type of environment growing up, what I did is I went back to my new and nice subdivision and I put my house up for sale. I sold most of my things and I moved into that same set of apartments. And now those boys that I led to Christ who are now mentored, who lived above um, stairs, who live upstairs from me, when they flushed their toilet, it would rain on me in my apartment. And when anyone in the building um, had a clogged sink, it would explode into my kitchen. And so I would have to come home and clean rotten food from all around my kitchen. And then I realized that it was too much work for me to do and stay a chemical engineer and, 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 and do the work that needed to be done in the city and that, in that community. So I raised missionary support, and I walked away from my six-figure chemical engineering job, and I lived on what the average school teacher in that community would make. And see, I wanted those boys to know this. I wanted them to know that I was in it with them. And when they had a hurt, that I cared enough to enter into that pain with them. I wanted those boys to know that, that I was there and this was our community together. Because this was what Jesus had done for me. And yeah, it seemed costly, but it was small in comparison to what Jesus had done for me. So here's the question. Who is someone not like you culturally or socioeconomically? or that shares a different viewpoint on a critical issue that you can be intentional about building a relationship with? What are some books that you can start reading by authors that you wouldn't normally read? What are some podcasts that you can start subscribing to 
in order to become more knowledgeable of those not like you so that you can start building relationships with those not like you? What are some small changes that you can start making to be intentional in these areas? In verses 5 through 8, John writes this. He says, so um, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, and, and near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Our second key to overcoming our fear of others is believers should search for common grounds when building relationships with those not like them. Believers should search for common ground. You know, Jesus was traveling to Samaria by foot in the heat. And so a well with its shade and water would have been a natural place for a man traveling like this to rest. But there was a deeper purpose for Jesus selecting this particular well. While the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews, they both loved Jacob, who was the father of both groups. So Jesus chose this particular well that bore this historically rich name in order to gain common ground. When we read other passages such as 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, which state there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Or even passages like Galatians 3, 28 that state this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. We come to the same conclusion, and that conclusion is this, that each and every one of us, no matter race and income or color or sex or weight or height, are part of one single body. But when we operate in a, a segregated mindset, we are operating in a fractional sense. And when we operate in a fractional sense, then we should expect fractional results back. Now, what does that mean? Within a five-mile radius circle of Fellowship Highcrest, that's from about 21st to 45th in Burlingame to California. It is projected that 61% of our friends and neighbors that live within that circle are not connected with a, a faith body or a religious community. That number has grown 15% in the wrong direction over the last 10 years. If we are going to reach our friends and neighbors within that circle, it won't be by what we do here at yours on Sunday mornings, and it won't be by what we do at Avondale East on Sunday mornings. It's going to be by searching out places of common ground and beginning relationships with people in the flow of everyday life. You know, last week was um, the end of the NBA Finals, and I noticed while we are still in this process of moving in and getting things settled that we had some across-the-street neighbors that were doing the same. And so I invited some people over to the house from FBC to come and watch the game. And I, I was going to the store, and I saw my neighbors outside. And so I whipped by there real quick, and I pulled into the driveway, and I got out. I was like, hey, hands are right here. Um, I'm your across-the-street neighbor. Just want to introduce myself. Um, but we're going to have some people over to watch the game tonight. Y'all guys are welcome to come by. And then I saw this Dallas Cowboy hat, and I was like, oh. And I was getting names, and they said, 
I said, where are y'all guys from? They said, well, we moving from Dallas. I was like, you hush your mouth. I said, I'm from Dallas. I grew up in South Oak Cliff. They said, we're from South Oak Cliff. I'm like, what, what you say? <laughs> I said, well, these are the schools I went to. And they said, these are the schools. That, I'm like, I went to that school too? And found out they grew, they lived on my grandmother's street. The gang became a common place for me to start building that relationship. What is a common ground place for you. Maybe it's a favorite restaurant. Maybe it's a favorite activity or, 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 or common interest like your children's little league activities. What would serve as a great common place for you to begin building relationships with those not like you? Then our third key bit of information found in the model of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman is this. Believers should be willing to be uncomfortable when building relationships with those of different cultures. The, Jesus uh, and John shows a couple of ways that we need to be un, willing to be uncomfortable if we're to build bridges the way that Jesus did. The first is observed in verse 9. There we see that Jesus cared so much for her that he was willing to drink out of the same cup as someone who was his cultural enemy. He would not let culture stand in the way of communication and ultimately the opportunity to minister to this woman. Jesus willingly stepped out of his tradition and in to hers. Are we living with the same missional type of mindset today? Because something has always been one way doesn't mean that it always has to be that way going forward. Another way we see Jesus show a willingness to be uncomfortable is found in verses 19 through 23. This is, in these verses, we see that Jesus was willing to stick to God's word even when it caused awkwardness in his relationship with the person he was trying to reach. You know, reaching out is not the same as giving up on the authority of God's word. And here's one example. You know, often when I speak out about the, the horrors of abortion, and how we need to do something in the African-American community and in low socioeconomic communities around this topic, there's a small group of people that get really mad at me and call me a sellout. And a lot of my majority, white, conservative, evangelical friends, they're like, attaboy, Jonathan, you speak it. But then when I speak out on police brutality, the same people that gave me hell on abortion are like, you go, Jonathan. But a lot of my conservative evangelical friends tell me that I've lost focus and I need to stay out of politics and just focus on the gospel. (laughs) See, both are pro-life issues. I explained to my pro-choice friends that, that I grew up in an environment where no one ever taught about abortion from a biblical angle. And that no one ever taught what abortion really was. And so until I got to college and someone explained it, I saw nothing wrong with it at all. I also explained that I understood the pressures of life that made abortion seem like a very viable and sometimes only option because I've lived it. See, I was was told as a kid that I was lucky because the kid before me was a forced miscarriage. But my mom decided to carry me to term. And still, I lived 18 years of my life thinking that it was worse to get a girl pregnant than to get an STD. 
when it comes to police brutality, I have a past of bad interactions with law enforcement. But because I wanted common ground, as I heard over the images of men who looked like me being shot, I enrolled in the Citizens Police Academy. I wanted to learn more about the fears that these men and women encountered as they tried to perform their jobs. And I did. I was also able to share with them some untrue stories they were writing as they entered into these situations. You know, in both cases, I was willing to enter into the culture of someone who thought differently than me. But I was not willing to budge on the value of life both inside and outside of the womb because both bear the image of God. When we compromise our beliefs to conform to the culture, we are not building relational bridges. We are building bridges to nowhere. The reason is, without God, all relationships eventually crumble and erode with no base to stand on. Ask someone who's been happily married for a long time. It takes the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in order to have two unlike people flourish in a relationship. It's all we have. But make sure when we say that we're not compromising, that it's actually on Scripture and not on cultural norms or things that just suit our taste. You know, what we desperately need today is a group of Christians of all cultures who, without negating their own heritage, are committed to the Scriptures, people who have dedicated themselves to making Christianity descriptive of who they are. Jesus didn't stop being a Jew when he began speaking to the woman at the well, and he's not asking you to stop being you. He's simply saying that should our two cultures conflict, we always choose God. That's what Paul was writing about in Romans 12 and 2. When you diagram that sentence, it says, in view of the mercies of God, in view of everything that God has done for you, in view that he sent his only begotten son out of glory to be hung on the cross for you, we ought to think about things differently. That's what it's saying. The last way we see Christ model his willingness to become uncomfortable is found in verses 27 through 29 of this passage. He says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? In verses 27 through 29, we see a couple of things. And the first one is this. Jesus was willing to speak to the woman, which was against custom. Jesus broke the Billy Graham rule. He was being a bad Christian at this point. And second, the woman was willing to openly tell others her, about her interaction with Jesus, which could have brought false condemnation against her. The fact of what just happened was too much to allow either Jesus or the woman to keep what happened in their relationship to themselves. And so therefore, believers should expect and be willing to deal with the struggles that come with crossing cultural lines. The fact is, it is easy for us to be concerned with the ramifications and the fallout of what's going to happen when we start building these type 
of relationships. But in those times, we must remember that there is no crown without the cross. In Mark 8, 34 and Luke 14, 26 uh, through 28, this is what Jesus says. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In these words, we're reminded that, that those of us who follow Christ must be willing to pay the cost of discipleship. It's very pricey at times, but it's one of the commitments that we have made. It commends us to speak up when we see injustice. It commends us to speak up when we see a lack of empathy or compassion in our world. And even on social media, when we let those who are in the body speak and post without compassion or empathy, it shows a lack of value for those around us. Everything we say and we don't say. Holding our brothers and sisters accountable is not a comfortable or easy thing, but it is necessary if we want to grow deep, healthy relationships with those not like us. Is that post, is that retweet, is that comment worth the 61% in growing? We have to hold each other accountable. So we've seen... That if we are to overcome our fears of those not like us, then we need to be intentional. We need to search for common ground. And we need to be willing to be uncomfortable. And with those things in mind, I want to challenge us to see, be, and share. When I say see, I mean I want to challenge us to see the big picture. I think one of the Discovery 8 astronauts describing his trip into outer space gave us a pretty good picture of this. He said, on the first day or two, we all pointed to our countries. On the third or fourth day, we all pointed to our continents. By the fifth day, we were only aware of one earth. Let's See the big picture. And seeing the big picture requires us to step back and look at the impact that we can make on the culture. When I say be, I think Henry Noun uh, said it best when he said, the goal of education and formation for the ministry is continually to recognize the Lord's voice, his face, and his touch in every person we meet. Let's all strive to see Christ not only in those like us, but also in those not like us. If we say that we're loving our neighbor, but we only really love those who look like us and think like us and live like us, then it's not our neighbor that we're loving, but ourselves. And when I say share, in verses 30 through 45, we see the profound effects of Jesus and the Samaritan woman's relationship with each other. In verses 39 through 40, we see that her relationship with Jesus calls her people to let their guard down enough in order to enter dialogue with Jesus. Perhaps your relationship with someone not like you will cause those around you to let their guard down enough to enter into relationships not like them also. Truly, Jesus and the Samaritan woman's willingness to build relationships with those not like them caused a change in culture. Where the Samaritans no longer operated off of tradition or hearsay, but of this personal relationship they now had. And what we see when we get to Acts 8 is when the Christians started to suffer um, persecution in Jerusalem, one of the places they went to preach and saw revival was in Samaria. 
who knows the impact that the lady's testimony had all these years before in beginning to prepare her people for this time where they were received the Holy Spirit over here. We can have the same type of impact. We can have the same type of relationships. But in order to do that, we must be intentional. We must search for common ground. And we have to be willing to be uncomfortable if we want these relationships to truly be fruitful. And I know this is a big ask, but I have hope. My hope is rooted in every sunset that I see. Because in every sunset that I see, I realize that this deep, longing, aching for diversity within the body of Christ is something that the Son has said in me. See, those of us um, who understand this, they, we see that this is his plan, that ethnic, uh, gender, and socioeconomic diversity are small in comparison to the work that has been done by God to reconcile sinful men to a holy God. And thus who follow Christ, we understand that, that no greater chasm has ever been crossed, no greater difference has ever been overcome than when a blessed Savior came in the form of a helpless babe to live a life that we couldn't live in order to pay a cost that we couldn't pay by dying a death that we couldn't die, all so that he could be raised on the third day morning and reconcile sinful man to a holy God. And because we understand that, because we understand that, we're willing to cross boundaries, cultural lines to love those not like us. If you're here this morning and and you haven't stepped across the line of faith, I want to give you that opportunity. Because one of the things we share at High Crest is the only power we have to change is the Spirit of God using the Word of God in the context of the community of God. And when we step over the line of faith, we receive the Spirit of God. Now, when you prepare to step over the line of faith, the first thing you need to know is that God is holy. And because God is holy, he is utterly different from us because of our sin. We are nowhere near like he is utterly different. And because of our sin, we should be separated from God. But because he loved us, he sent his son to live for us and die for us. He was hung on a cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, and raised three days later. And those of us who believe that it's solely because of those acts, not how good we can be, not how many uh, scriptures we can remember, not how many church services we attend, not how many good deeds we try to rank up, but solely because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that we're able to have a relationship with the Father. We've crossed from death to life, from other to brother, from them to us. In a second, I'm going to pray, no special words, no special order of words, but giving you an opportunity to make that decision. And take that step. If today is the first time you pray that prayer and you make that step, mark it on your card and let us know. Let us come talk to us either up here or one of our prayer partners out in the lobby so that we can help you take your next step. Now, maybe you're here and you have stepped over the line of faith. Well, your first step of obedience and the easiest step of obedience is baptism. And it's the easiest because all Jesus asked for us to do is to get wet for him. If that's your next step, 
we're having baptisms right after service. And for most of us, our relationship with Christ is the first cross-cultural relationship we've ever had. A relationship between a sinful man and a holy God. What a beautiful thing it would be that on Father's Day 2018, you went public with your relationship, your first cross-cultural relationship between a sinful man and a holy God. That's your next step. Come and speak with us after service. We have extra towels, and we can have that happen today. Don't delay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for the example given in your word. We thank you for sending your son to sacrifice for us. We ask, Father, that you would give your Holy Spirit and we would be emboldened by your spirit to go out and love those not like us and cross our normal boundaries and cultural lines. Father, if there's someone here today that's still wrestling, trying to be good enough on their own, I I pray that they would give up and they would trust solely in the work of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we leave this place, be with us to love and see others like you. Help us to be intentional. Help us to look for common ground and help us to be willing to be uncomfortable as we take on this tall task. We pray these things in your darling son Jesus' name. Amen.